Welcome to the podcast of Rainbow Family Christian Center with Pastors Horace and Patricia Drumming. We would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray that you are impacted, inspired, and encouraged by the Word of God. Let's check out today's message. God is worthy. You know, the scripture says in the book of Revelation, it says, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that takes away the sins of this world. You know, I believe that every time you and I worship, God wants you to get a picture of heaven. I believe that every time you worship, you have to have a picture of the cross and to realize how much God loved you. Every day I have these three large nails and I remind myself that I cannot fail because of three large nails that Jesus took on my behalf. I thank God for the cross. I thank God for the cross because from there is where we get our liberty. I can see my grandmother now leading the song at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. And the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith that I received my sight. And now I'm happy all the day at the cross, at the cross. That's what God wants to do. He says the entrance of his word is what gives us light. And what God wants to do with humanity is enlighten us. Where? In our inner man. God doesn't want us to be surface Christians. It's got to be in the inward part of you. In the inward part of you, this is where you learn, learn now with such joy that in him I'm living, in him I'm moving, and in him... I have my being. Say, in him. Amen. Say it again, in him. Amen. One more time, in him. Amen. You know, I've been encouraging young men that I've been, you might say, counseling with and just, I don't know, fathering, speaking into their lives right now. I believe that I'm in a period in my life where God is saying, everything I've given you, you got to give it away. You just got to give it away. How I many of you know you can't take what God gives you, you can't take it with you, you got to give it away. Someone said to me, young, when you're young, from the age of 1 to 18, you don't know nothing. Literally, folks, I don't know if you know this, you go from simplicity to complexity. But the simplicity, even when you get to the complexity, if you go through the simplicity, the complexity won't be, seem hard at all. How I many of you know it was much easier for you to be just a baby than it was for you to be five years old? Because as a baby, all you had to do was just make a little noise. Somebody fed you. Somebody changed you. I mean, who got up at, as a baby thinking about it? I got to go to work. I got to get this task and that task. Simplicity. See, sometimes we don't appreciate all of the simplicity of what God is doing with us. But everything goes from simplicity to complexity. And that's why I believe the Bible says, to whom much is given, 
but he's taking you through these steps this is why all of us the scripture says to all of us it says don't despise small beginnings it's a step by step faith is a step by step journey someone look at your neighbor and say I'm on a journey this morning (laughs) you're on a journey you're on a journey and the wonderful thing about this journey is the Bible says then rejoice in the Lord while you're taking this journey you know that God has taken you from glory to glory from faith to faith God has taken you from the simplicity to the complexity but you will be able to do all things through Christ who strengthens you it just won't seem hard how many of you know the Bible says my yoke is and the burdens are didn't say that you didn't have burdens I love that because I would think sometimes I would want to pray, Lord, take the burden, take the burden. <laughs> Lord said, no, I'm not. You remember Paul saying, God, <laughs> this, this, this messenger of Satan sent to buffet me in my flesh. I've been seeking you out, God. Three times I've sought you out. And God said, but what? My grace is sufficient. God has given all of us the sufficiency. That's why when these young people were singing and the, uh, the, the band was playing, your presence, your presence. How many of you know what happens when you get into the presence of God? In his presence is what? What do you remember Jesus saying to us about joy? He says, I've come that your joy might be what? You need to be full of joy every day of your life. But it's... The reason that you can have such a a, a place, a joy, is that you draw near to God. The Bible says if you draw near to God, what will happen? What's the correspond? He will draw near to you. And what happens when you're in the presence of God? Just joy. What does that mean? I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearful of any man. (laughs) I'm not so careful to think that if God is for me who can be against me God is surrounding me with what favor and what did he say this favor is like it's like a shield then none of these weapons didn't say that there won't be weapons folks there are weapons but none of the weapons that are formed against me they're not going to prosper Tongues are going to rise up. People are going to say some things about you that can and in an outside of Christ would be devastating. But says he says, let them speak because I will condemn that and I will do what? Prove that to be wrong. How many of you would like to have Jesus as your trial lawyer? <laughs> Amen. You're going to win every time. I don't know about you, but I've been reading my Bible, and he has never lost a case, and he never will. There is no failure in God. But three nails should always remind you that you, too, will never fail. Come on, say it with me. Three nails, but I'll never fail. Why? Because he nailed all of your sin to that cross. And he set you free. And it is for freedom that he set you free. 
It is for a liberty that you are supposed to take every day knowing who you are in Christ. You will never ever feel successful until you know who you are in Christ. Because the world will always confront you with how you cannot make it. We are living according to this age in what we call a cancel culture. People are always looking to cancel. I don't want you to rise. I don't want you to be at the top. So I will pull my support. I will pull my following. I will. And what God is saying, I don't need you following men. I need you what? Following me. Follow hard after God, David would tell us. And he said, and early in the morning, rise up and seek him. It's like I was sharing with my, 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 my niece, my great niece, actually. And I was asking her one day, watching her just so busy with her phone. You know what I'm talking about. Young people just don't have time to look up at you and talk to you anymore. And I traveled a long way, and I was glad to see her, and I wanted to have a dialogue with her, but she was so busy with the phone. And so I just asked her, I said, what are you doing? And you know, of course, she was looking at her Facebook account, her Instagram, her TikTok, and all of the other. And so I just asked her, I said, how many followers do you have? She's 12 years old at that time. She's in college now, but... She was 12 years old, and I'll never forget that. And she says, I have 1,700 followers. Do you know, everybody that's on your list of so-called followers or uh, people that are on your friends list are really not friends at all. But I'm telling you, when you have Jesus, the Bible says you have a friend. You really have a friend that will stick closer than whoever is your true friend. People come, people go, people leave you. Sometimes it's not leaving you by uh, abandonment, but simply people, they leave this earth. But God, he's with you. All of us have an expiration timeline but not God. Not God. I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad for all of those that are viewing. I'm glad for all of those that are listening, those who are present here today. Go ahead and be seated. We're going to go further into this journey that the Lord has us on today. And I shared with you last week as we were closing the service that I felt like the Lord was saying to me, go back and revisit some things. How many of you know that every now and then you need to go back and revisit some things? I think the scripture would say it to us like this. It says, there are things that you have to return to. Things that you love, you have to return to. Who you say you love, you have to return to. Because sometimes we can have drifted away and don't know that we've drifted away. I learned this through a nautical lesson that somebody was giving me. I had a friend, a good friend of ours who lives in Texas now, but uh, he was a naval commander. He operated or uh, was a commander for a submarine. And, um, you know, he went from ships to submarines. And he happened to invite uh, Pat and I to go out uh, from Cape Canaveral, we were living in Florida at the time, and he says, come and go out with me on, on the ship that I'm commanding. And I was like, okay. And 
Uh, Miss Pat got really seasick <laughs> that day. But we went out, and there was going to be the launching of a Trident missile or, you know, just the practice round of it. And, um, but I went to the bridge, and I will never forget that, and he was just showing me what they do in order to know where they are, in other words, the compass that they are watching. And, and then he began to talk to me about a ship being off course and what happens when a ship gets off course. And, and it's so important for us in our lives to realize that how many of you realize that every now and then you may get off course? And when you get off course, you've got to make an adjustment. That's what the Word does for us every day. That's why the Bible tells us every day you need to be in the Word because the Word will show you when you're getting off course. Even when you think you are on the right path, even when you think you are going in the right nautical direction, the Word will show you, nope, you're off course. It'll show you when you're off course with your family. It'll show you when you're off course with your, 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 your community. It'll show you when you're off course with the family of God. It'll show you when you're off course with the things of God. And I don't know about you, I don't ever like to be lost. Anybody ever travel? You know, just in the natural, you were traveling and you knew you didn't know where you were at? And back in the days when we used to have the little, uh, the little attachable GPSs that you'd put on the window, many of them took me into places. I remember one time to, uh, my navigation took me into a dead end and said, turn right. It's like, what? There's <laughs> right and left to go. I'm at a dead end. God will never take you to a dead end. He will always guide you in his word is that source of guidance for us. His word is that place that we go to to make sure that we are on track, that we actually are doing. How many of you know it's good for you to go to the doctors and get a checkup? I know some of you men are probably like me. You don't like to go, but you know that you need to go, and you go. And some of us, sometimes we haven't gotten to that discipline. The Bible says, you're really literally going from discipline to delight with the things of God. You're not delighted about getting up and praying early in the morning until you get up early and start praying. And then you go and you realize that in order to get up and early and pray, you have to discipline yourself. Some of you have to set your alarm. Some of you have to do several different things so that you're getting up. That's the discipline of it. But after a while, how many of you have gotten to a point in your life where you're, you're so delighted about what you're going to do, you don't even need the clock to get up? I mean, it's just in you, and, and you just realize, man, God has given me a spiritual alarm. I just get up like that. And you're not tired either. You're not weary from it. You're not worn out. You, you go through a week. You go through a month. You go through literally a year. and says, I'm not tired. Why? Because God is renewing your strength. But you go from discipline to delight. And the Bible tells us to delight ourselves in the things of God. This is part of why you come to church on Sunday. This is why you tune in to church on Sunday. Because God is trying to develop some disciplines in us. Say this, I am, I am a, disciple a disciple of Jesus Christ. And when you hear this word disciple... It should take you immediately to the, per, to the realization that the word disciple means that you're disciplined. 
And folks, it's these many disciplines that helps you to be the servant of God that he wants you to be. And one of those the disciplines is having a disciplined prayer life, having a disciplined study. There are disciplines that you and I have, we use every day in our lives. And then how many of you have a discipline of at least getting a sponge bath? <laughs> and you realize that's a good discipline. Because if you don't have that discipline, you, eventually you will start to stink. You, you don't have to be bashful about it. Uh, uh, folks, I'm telling you, if you don't get discipline in the word, you will have stinking thinking. You won't think like Christ. You won't have the mind. The Bible said, let the mind that was in Christ be in you also. And the Bible speaks to us about a stench coming up into the nostril of God. And that comes from stinking thinking. That comes from not being lined up with who you are and focused on what God wants you to be focused on. How many of you have a discipline of brushing your teeth? Now, I was reading an article, and I couldn't help but laugh, and they said, I am so thankful for mass for this right now. <laughs> you know what they were implying. As a result of mass now, you don't have to necessarily. But it's a good discipline. And how many of you know if you don't have that discipline of getting up and brushing your teeth? Everything will begin to rot. Everything will begin to decay. Everything will begin to take on this yellowish, ugly appearance. And then it will be painful for you after a while. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It becomes painful. Anybody ever had a toothache? It becomes very painful, doesn't it? Literally, folks, it becomes painful for the body of Christ. We are not daily washing in the word we're not letting the word scrub us like we need the scrubbing how many of you know you just get dirty by living good friend of ours gone home to be with the Lord Reverend Harvey L. Riley I love him great man of God and Reverend Riley was sick and he had to be hospitalized and then while he was in the hospital and he was there for one week Every day, there would be a nurse that came in to give him a bath. And one day, he was just, you would say, you're smelling yourself or feeling yourself. Or, and he just said, nurse, I don't need no bath. I, 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 I haven't done anything. I've just been in this room and been in this bed, so I don't need a bath. I'm not dirty. And I will never forget him saying this. As the nurse looked at him, she smiled, and she said, Reverend Riley, you get dirty just living. How many realize that sometimes you, you may feel like you haven't done a thing? You haven't been in contact and just go to the sink and wash your hands and go, my goodness. That dirt coming off. 
I always tell people sometimes you might want to bathe with a, a clean white bath cloth so you can see that you got dirt on you. Though you may have thought you were smelling good and looking good. I was listening to a pastor. I don't know how I ended up on a, 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 this particular broadcast, but he was talking and he caught my attention because he said, you know, what if I was sitting on a pile of manure? He said, and I'm sitting on the pile of manure, what's going to be the best solution? To keep spraying me with Febreze? Or to get me off of the pile? You see, folks, I don't want to spray you with a Febreze this morning. I'm trying to get you off the pile. I, I'm, I, the word will wash you. The word will wash you. So there's some few things that we've got to do administratively, but I believe that the Lord will let me do them at the end because I believe we need to get into the word. I put some things. We have this um, program that we call Planning Center, and, and with it I'm able to at least put what I believe is going to be the subject matter I'm going to preach on. I'm able to put scripture in there. I'm able to put PowerPoints and other things and load them in so that it makes it easy for us to follow and transition. And so I put some things in on Tuesday morning. I actually, I think I put them in on Monday uh, because I knew what the Lord wanted me to start preaching on. And it was so that we can get back into focus. How I many of you know without the vision, people do what? Without vision, the Bible says people perish. And I literally, if I put it in the correct context, he says, my people. Everybody say, my people. people. You've got to realize that he's talking about Christians when he say, my people. He's not just talking the world in general. He's saying, my people. But why does God's people perish? He says, knowledge, like thereof. I should like watch, uh, listening to a radio station, uh, uh, WOL was down on 8th Street in, in Washington, D.C., and, and the owner of that station was a lady by the name of Kathy Hughes. Many of you know uh, or heard of Kathy Hughes, and Kathy Hughes used to always have a segment in every morning, and she would always say this. She would say, knowledge is power. Say that with me. Knowledge is power. And this is why I got that expression SOS, because she would say it all the time. She said, don't be stuck on SOS. And I thought, you know, in my military training, SOS was save our ship or save our soul. But her SOS was stuck on stupid. <laughs> don't be stuck on stupid. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. How many of you have heard the scripture when it said, brethren, I would not that you be what? ignorant. That doesn't mean anything or has anything to do with your intelligent quotient. It's talking about being unaware of what the word has said to do. And you're living oftentimes beneath your privileges. And God wants you to be what his word says that you are. Say I'm the head not the tail. I'm above not beneath. I'm more. I'm more than a conqueror. I can do 
all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. See, what God is trying to get you to do is to get in agreement with him about who he says you are. Some of you may have had people to say discouraging things to you today, yesterday, this past week. But you have to be able to know how to shake that off and to realize that's what they say. But this is what God said. So what God says and who God says that I am, that's who I am. That's who I am. I am who he says I am. I can do what he said I can do. I can have what he said I can have. I can go where he says that I can go. Nothing shall be impossible with God. Now, make sure you know that it's with God. You don't say nothing shall be impossible and leave God out of the picture. You don't say, I can do all things and leave Christ out of your picture. You have to stay focused. It's in him we live. It's in him that we move. It's in him that we have our being. Stay focused. He who keeps his mind stayed on Jesus. He who keeps his mind in focus with the word of God. The Bible says, you just got peace. And that's why the Bible then starts to talk about, people are wondering, why you got so much peace? You got peace that passes all understanding. Did you see Jesus panic when, the, you remember, he's out there, he's preaching, he's been preaching all day. He has compassion on the people. He realizes, man, they've been out here all day. They've been attentive. They've been listening. And he comes to the conclusion, they're hungry. How many of you know if you spend all day listening to me preach? At some point in time, <laughs> you hungry. But Jesus said the distance that they'll now have to go in order to secure something to eat, that's too much. Why don't we just throw a banquet on their behalf? I mean, you know what his disciples said. His disciples were basically saying, send them away. And Jesus kept saying to his disciples, no, no, feed them. Feed them. And you've heard me say this. If I were to look for food in here right now, I'm, ladies, I'm, I'm probably picking on you the most here. But you got some food in that purse. You got some peppermint. You got some crackers. You got something in that purse. Even if it's just a stick of chewing gum, you got something. There was some food there that day. But do you realize that most people weren't at the point where they wanted to share what they had? And I love the fact that Jesus finds a little boy who is willing to share his lunch. I don't think that the disciples were that excited about it because I think their attitude was, you see, you see, Jesus, this is all we could find. 
How many of you remember what that, that was? Two fish, five loaves of bread. And don't be looking at that loaf that you go to the grocery store and get. It's not that at all. Anybody got a silver dollar here today? I have one out in my vehicle. But uh, anybody know what a silver dollar pancake is? That's one of them little pancakes. That's one of them ones that I said, don't even put that on my plate. Do you have something that will fill up the plate if you're going to put a pancake on it? Don't be putting on a little silver dollar pancake on it. But that's what that little boy had, five little silver dollar pancakes. So children, when you hear that he had five loaves of bread, they are not the loaf that you get slice after slice after slice. No, it's five little silver dollar-like pancakes. Enough to put... What, what, are you, what, do you, what do we call them? Sliders. When you go in, they're supposed to be appetizers. They're a little slider. It's like it's just big enough for you to just slide in your mouth and that's it. And so I believe that his disciples brought these little sliders and said, can now can we slide on out of here, Jesus? There ain't enough food to feed all these people. And Jesus, you remember what Jesus said? Bring that to me. Bring that to me. Bring that to me. Folks, do you understand that in your giving, sometimes we, we don't think that we have enough, and God said, bring that. Bring that with a cheerful heart. Bring that like that little boy brought that little small lunch. And you know what Jesus did? The Bible says he took it. He blessed it. And then he put it back in the hands of the disciples. Says, "Now go this with some order." And he had, they had to put the people in order. Go serve. How many of you realize that when you get people in order, you tell them sit at this table, sit there, sit here. Now they're not at tables. They're literally having to sit on the the grassy area. Some of you've been to picnics. You sit on the ground before. Well, that's pretty much what happened. They got them in order, and they sat them down, and they began to start feeding people. Two fish. Five loaves that got multiplied that day. And how many of you know that the Bible says everybody got fed? And how many of you know that the Bible says it was stuff running over? We call it leftover. How much? Twelve baskets. I truly believe this. I can't validate through scripture, but I just believe this is me. I believe it went to that little boy. I believe it went to that little boy who was willing to give up his lunch so that others could be fed. See, sometimes folks, it's just giving up our lunch. It's having that mind of Christ. I'll give up my lunch. It's having the knowledge of knowing that God can take what we have and multiply it and make a tremendous difference in the lives of multitudes of people. But you can't have an attitude. You can't be focused on God and, and say that you focus on God and not be willing. I love a song, and, and, and it, it, it's entitled, If You Can Use Anything, Lord, You Can Use Me. Anybody ever heard that song? Anybody ever sang that song with true meaning? Because every now and then, folks, God will say, you remember what you sang to me the other day? I need to use you to, to this day. 
you remember we talked a few weeks ago about the Good Samaritan? Remember we talked about the fact that that day he knew that God wanted to use him because so many people who were just praying for breeze didn't even truly realize that they were stinking up the joint. They said they were a priest. They said they were a Levite. They said they were a child of God. But when they had an opportunity to truly serve, you know how we use that translation that says they took a different angle. They were angling themselves away from what God was calling them to do that day. Folks, when you stay focused on God, he's going to always keep you in a straight and a narrow path. He said, you just, the path is going to be straight. The path is going to be narrow. You're going to look around and go, man, there's not a lot of people doing this, God. He said, I know. That's why I chose you. That's why I chose you. Sometimes, folks, when God chooses you, he has already asked other people to do it, and they refused. There's a man out in Arkansas. His name is Happy Caldwell. Literally, that is his name, Happy. Mom and dad named him Happy because he was always smiling as a baby, and so they said it's a perfect name for him, Happy. And Happy lives in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I remember him sharing something that was very humbling for a preacher to share. And he talked about the fact that the Lord wanted him to do a particular task. And he was bold enough to ask the Lord. No, the Lord said to him, he said, when he went to the altar, the Lord said to him, Happy, you were not my first choice. And, so, and Happy said, well, where was I, God? <laughs> I mean, sometimes people want to know, well, where was I in this sequence? He says, you were the seventh minister that I had to ask. Six of them went ahead and rejected. So it's just oftentimes humbling to know that, yeah, you might have not been the first, but perhaps you have to look at it with perspective. You were the first to answer the call. How many of you are willing to answer the call of God today? I believe that during the course of this message, you're going to hear something from God in your life that he's going to call you to do. It won't be me asking you to do something. It's just something that you're going to hear in the course of this message that you're going to know that you know that you know God is calling you to do. And if you have the focus and if you keep focus, you'll realize that I've got to stay with what God has called me to do. You don't look around and say, who else is going to come with me? Say, send me, I'll go, Lord. That's the attitude that you have to have. Send me, I'll go. Now, I'm going to say to you, every now and then, when you look around, you will find that there are others that are going to be serving with you. But even when you look around and you don't see anybody serving with you, what is your mindset? I'll still serve you, Lord. Now, I, I put together some, some slides. I hope that they are visible to you. I put them in colors, and I realize they look great on my computer, but I uh, didn't quite test them up here on the, the big screen, but would you get that first slide? We're talking about the power of vision. And I'm going to give you some things that you should be doing in order to activate vision. You remember I just said to you a moment ago, without the vision, what happens to people? They perish. You've got to have vision. You've got to have vision. And, and in order to activate vision, you have to invest in prayer and hearing from God. This is why we say to people, you need to be a part of every time there's a prayer meeting in your church, at least once a week. 
Come on, let me do. Tell me when there's prayer in this church. My wife just yell out every day, seven days a week, 5 a.m. You can tune in to prayer. It is led by the women in our church, and I'm thankful for that. I would love to have a seven-day-a-week men-led prayer. But I haven't had anybody step up to the plate. How many of you know pastor can't put everything on his plate? You need skillful, diligent, faithful, and committed people to do ministry. <laughs> All you men, don't shrink back in your chairs like that. But I said, God's going to speak to some of you. And you need to say, yes, Lord, here am I. But you have to invest in prayer. So every day of the week, 5 a.m., there's an opportunity for you to jump into prayer, to invest in prayer. When, el when else? Perhaps you're not one of those early people. Oh, Pastor, I don't do early. Okay, you don't do early. Is there another opportunity for people to pray? Every Wednesday, 630. I don't care if you're in your car. You can say, well, I, I was on my way from work. Well, Tune in. Tune in. While you're driving, tune in. I won't ask you to raise your hand while you're riding, driving. <laughs> you need to keep both of them on the wheel, but you can still be in prayer. When else can you do this? Every Saturday at 10 a.m., we're praying. 10 a.m. I don't care. Get your big bowl of cereal. But get in there and let's pray. While you're eating the cereal, I'll be praying. Just join with me. For two or three are touching and agreeing, God says, I'll be in the midst of it. So if you missed Monday at 5 a.m., Tuesday at 5 a.m., well, you got a chance to jump in there on Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. You're one of those people that you operate better in the evening. Okay, jump in there on a, on a Wednesday evening. Well, if you miss Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, because you were so busy, you have to go to work, you've got to get the kids ready for school, you've got to do all these things. Well, Saturday morning, get up and get in prayer. Everybody say invest in prayer. I'm just trying to show you where your opportunities are so that you can do what I'm sharing with you here in order to activate vision in your life. You've got to be a man or woman of prayer. How many of you remember when Jesus is overturning some things in the temple? Remember what the statement that he makes? He says, my house shall be called what? You can be doing a whole lot of things, and even things that we would say in the temple. But God's saying one of the most important things that you can do in the temple is pray. A man ought to. You know these scriptures, don't you? See, knowing them has to be coupled with doing. Because the Bible says simply knowing this is the equivalent of being a hearer. But you're not yet a Everybody say hearer and doer. I like to see the hands of all the hearers and doers now. That's what God wants you to be at, a hearer and a doer. So when the opportunity presents itself, you're not making, as I would call, dumb excuses for not. You can invest. Just like we try to teach you about investment for your finances. Like, you can do this. 
How many of you are coffee drinkers in here? Most. How many of you are tea drinkers? Yeah, some of you. And some of you have replaced the tea and the coffee with a Coke in the morning. Because <laughs> you're still getting that caffeine. Yeah, that's, that's true. I, I see people go get big gulps early in the morning. Say, a big gulp this time? Yeah. Folks, just deferring that cost of what it takes you to get a, coffee, a cup of coffee every day or a, coffee, a cup of tea every day or a big gulp every day could be an investment. I'm talking finances now, but that could be an investment that you make. But prayer is even more powerful than that financial investment that you make. So invest in prayer and invest in hearing God's word. This is why it's important for you to be in a Bible study. I know that we are primarily doing our Bible studies via Zoom. But like I've shared with the, the associate ministers in the church, make sure that there is a platform for people to ask questions now. Because the Bible study is not a study unless you get to interact in it. And folks, don't let people just keep talking to you and you know you don't understand. Now, I would tell you, as a student in, during my junior high and high school years, even my collegiate years, I wasn't the most liked guy because I was that person in your class that when you thought you were going to get out early, I still had a... And the teacher would not let you go because she was going to answer the... But see, folks, I didn't just want to get wisdom. I wanted to do what the Bible said, get understanding. So some people, we hear stuff, but we don't yet understand the stuff that we heard. And God says, that's not going to be good enough. When you get this wisdom, when you get what the Bible is pouring out to you, make sure you understand. Why do you need to understand so that you can apply it? Because if you still don't understand how to apply it, you're still going to perish. There's still a lack of knowledge on your part. So here in this particular scripture, I put the, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. I know it's very small writing there on the screen. He says, I have never stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you wisdom. Wisdom to do what? To see clearly and to really understand who Christ is is and all that he has done for you verse 18 says I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light that your heart will be flooded with light so that you can see something of the future everybody said I want to see the future see that's what vision does the Bible says God will show you a thing from the end before the beginning years ago having the opportunity to be in what was then considered the world's largest church. 100,000 members was uh, the membership total. And this was back in 1981? 83. 83, thank you. I lose track of time here. 1983, we're in a church in Seoul, Korea, South Korea. Dr. Paul Young-Hee Cho, the membership is 100,000 then. 
I remember when his brother got ready to pastor a church, he ceded some members to his brother to get started. 25,000 members. Now that's the way you start a church. Just seed out 25,000. The church now is uh, estimated at well over, I think, 500,000 members now today. The seating capacity of that church when we were there in 1983 was 10,000. And I remember the first time that I went there, I'd never seen this ever. I've seen it at movies. I've seen it when Chick-fil-A is getting ready to open a new restaurant. People who camped out all day to get in. But I don't ever see that at any church. But when we drove up to go and we were ushered in being, as we would call, uh, foreigners, uh, they had a special section, they had places where you could put on earphones and be able to be translated the message uh, that was being preached. But folks, we passed 10,000 people that were on the outside and joined 10,000 people that was on the inside. And when we got in there, I would say practically all or most of that 10,000 was in prayer. There's a mountain that this church has bought, and they call it Prayer Mountain. Just little small caves that are uh, carved inside of that mountain that people just go up there and pray. Our good buddy Enoch Satima took me up to the place that he likes to go, and it's a little cave in Botswana, Africa. He says, Pastor, when I'm, if I don't see somebody get saved in a, in a, in a month's time, something's not happening right in our church. And I go to the mountain and I pray. How many of you get concerned when you don't see somebody coming down to the altar to give their life to Jesus Christ? I don't know about you, but I do. I don't sleep well. Because I know that without Christ, they're going to perish. When I sometimes I'm preaching, there is sometimes there is such a brilliant light over some of your lives that God is saying, that's the one that needs to be saved this morning. And when I don't see that person respond to the altar call, I'm concerned about it. I don't have permission from God to go yank you up out your seat. Some of you I know run from me. You do. Because you're saying, what will pastor see? What will he know that I don't want him to know? Some of you I know when and I, I make a suggestion, when you reject it immediately. I didn't ask for this. This is just something that the Lord allowed me to be able to see. And oftentimes I would say, Lord, well, can I go just yank them up? Tell them, that's huge, Jack. You need to be saved today. No. You have to freely come. You have to freely come. But it concerns my soul when people don't come, when they don't respond to the word of God. Not to the point that I become depressed or oppressed by it, but I'm concerned. Because I don't know what's along your path that day or that upcoming week. And how many of you know that everybody that dies didn't go to heaven? I know you might get that impression every time you go to a funeral. Because every funeral you went to, somehow, some way, the people who say or stand before that body said, I believe they were God. I don't believe that. I believe that I've stood over a lot of bodies that did not go to heaven. 
Because there are times where people did not repent. They did not acknowledge that I need God. And when you acknowledge that you need God, folks, you, you stay in his word. How many of you remember the scripture from Joshua chapter 1, verse 8? He says, Joshua, I'm going to need you to meditate in this word, what? Day and night. I'm going to also need you to observe to do it. And he says, and then you are going to make your way, what? Prosperous, and you're going to have good success. So meditate daily in the word. Meditate daily on God's word. And his will for your life. If I were to ask you to take a moment, take out a sheet of paper, and I'm not asking you this is kind of a, in a rhetorical way, but to ask you, write down the will of God for your life. And perhaps I want you to do that. Not right now, not here in this setting, but in your privacy, in the privacy of wherever that quiet place, that prayer closet that you have set aside in your life, ask yourself, do you know what the will of God is for your life? Folks, the will of God for people's life is not everybody to be up in the pulpit. I don't know why when we start talking about the will of God for everybody's life, and it's like, ah, oh, Pastor, uh, somebody told me uh, they think I'm going to be a preacher. Please. No, you're not. See, I'm just straightforward enough to tell people stuff. I know people get upset with me, and they say, who does he think he is? He's not the boss of me. But there are some of people that are not called to pastor at all. And trying to do it, they are going to go through tremendous pressure that they have not been built to handle. They've not been equipped to handle it. Folks, when you are called to this, you are going to, like Paul, you remember what Paul said to Timothy? He said, I'm, I'm teaching you this, this particular lesson is on how to endure hardness. How many of you believe that church members are just gentle? <laughs> Somebody's in a raise there. Yes, some are. But most aren't. It's like this. People are going to generally be kind to you as long as you don't deal with their business. Talk about them, Pastor, but don't deal with me and my stuff. But when I start to deal with your stuff, <clears throat> the claws come out. How many of you have cats? How many of you are cat lovers? You have cats. And you haven't had them, what do they call it, defanged or declawed? The cat is all right until something, and all of a sudden those little things come out, and you go, man, those look like razors. And sometimes there are people that we know that are in our congregations that are in the midst of the body of Christ who they are friendly as long as you, they feel like you're talking about others. But if you get in their backyard, how many of you know it, it, we call this when neighborhoods, when people don't want churches to be building that neighborhood, we call that a NIMBY. NIMBY, it's an acronym 
not in my backyard. Build your church anywhere, but not in. We call that NIMBY. And there's a lot of NIMBYs. I've seen a lot of ministries literally go under because they ran up into the claws of a neighborhood who did not want a church in that neighborhood. You would think everybody would want churches in the neighborhood. And I've been to hearings and I listen to people. It's like, oh, the noise. Please. Soundproof walls. There's no noise emanating so loud out of the church that it would wake people up in their, out of their houses. It's just not. Oh, the traffic. The church is 75 members. And you're going to have so much traffic you can't get out your neighborhood. But it's all about NIMBY, not in my backyard. Give me Jesus, but give, give, give me Jesus at a distance. But folks, your vision, your focus gets really synchronized, I would say, because if you meditate on God's word daily, the word changes you. The word will change you. The word will soften your heart. In areas where it would be intolerable for you in certain situations, because of the word, it's not intolerable anymore. You don't. All you want is to see people in the presence. How many of you sang the song this morning? Your presence is heaven. Do you want his presence to be heaven to anybody else? Or is just your presence is heaven to me? As long as me is being satisfied. Do you remember the disciples that I was talking about, about the food? They said, let's go get us some food. We don't care about that 5,000. They're on their own. But Jesus says, no, that's not how a servant of God reacts. They want it as much for them as they want it for themselves. But it's only when you're learning to invest in prayer, invest in the word, and then take that word and meditate on the word and the will of God for your life. So this is from the, the Living Bible translation. It says, constantly remind the people about these laws. And you yourself must think about them every day and every night. So that you will be sure to obey all of them. For only then will you succeed. Anybody want to succeed? Meditate in the word day and night and watch God help you to succeed. Next slide, please. Next slide is same emphasis, but a different scripture that I have for you. First John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15 is in this particular slide. And we are sure of this, that he will listen to us whenever we ask him for anything in line with his will. And if we really know he is listening when we talk to him and make our request, then we can be sure that he will answer us. See, folks, when you meditate in the word of God day and night, it is no longer. Remember Jesus' prayer? Remember he's praying? He says, Father, not 
Father, not. Father, not. Where did he get this revelation? In prayer. Where did he come to this conclusion when he knew that it's going to be a bitter cup? It's absolutely going to be a bitter cup. And he even asked, for a moment in time, he asked, can this cup be removed? There are times where I feel like that. Lord, if you just remove that one and that one. God said, no, I brought that one and that one. Okay, not my will, but your will be done. How many of you know that every day in your life you should be decreasing? And who should be increasing? God. You should be decreasing. Less and less and less and less and less and less about you. And more and more and more about Jesus. How many of you know what happens when you put a seed in the ground? Do you know the seed must die? You didn't know that? It dies. It, it, well, it metamorphosizes. So if I put a seed into the ground, let's just say a kernel of corn. Can everybody visualize a kernel of corn? And I put that kernel of corn into the ground. That kernel of corn no longer tends to take on the character of a kernel of corn anymore. It metamorphosizes. It dies to being a kernel of corn, and it now becomes this little, what do I, I want to call it? It, it, it becomes a, a, a little root, a sprout, that's the word, thank you. It now sprouts up and protrudes out of the ground. How many of you would truly know and truly know that you are a new creature? You cease to be what you were, and you have become something new. You cease to think like you used to think, and you think like God. Why? Because your mind is stayed on him. Now, your mind, according to Romans 12 and 1, has been what? Transformed. You are no longer conformed to thinkings of the world, stinking thinking, by the way. You are no longer content to sit on the pile of manure and say, spray me with some Febreze. I'll be all right. You don't realize you're still stinking. As a matter of fact, just spraying you with Febreze probably is giving you a different odor. Not a fragrance. Not a pleasant fragrance. It's a stench. And so refusing to change, just saying, spray me, anoint me, lay your hands on me, pastor, won't do it. There's got to be something that happens on the inside that comes to the outside. There's something that happens on the inside when you put that seed into the ground and it comes to the outside and you know that it's been changed. And now what does this seed do? The Bible says first the blade, then the stalk, and then he says, in this transformation comes a full ear. There's fruit now. How many of you want fruit out of your life? You just don't want to be a church member. You just don't want, church is not just a place you come to get married and your place you come to be buried. 
When you become a part of the body of Christ, you become a part of a living organism. You become a part of something that's life-changing, world-changing. You become a part of a light that is helping to eradicate darkness in this world. Because the entrance of God's word is giving you this light. Because you've been meditating in the word what? Day and night. You've been thinking more about what God's will is for you than your will for yourself. How many of you realize that sometimes you ventured out saying you were going to do this and you were going to do that and you were going to do this and do that and you didn't even ask God one time what his will was for you. Miss Pat and I always share our testimony about coming to this Washington, D.C. area. We were in Florida. We met some wonderful, wonderful godly people in Florida. That that was life-changing, still is life-changing for the both of us because we met people who truly loved God and who truly served God. You saw that uh, when they were celebrating. We were celebrating 25 years, and, and one of our spiritual sons uh, uh, showed up, and uh, uh, Miss Angie and Whitney uh, surprised us, really, really surprised us. We had no idea that Leroy was going to be here. But, folks, that's... That's almost 40 years of relationship. And all those people that we were in church with, we still have that kind of relationship with them. Whenever I go back to Florida, you know, we almost have to say, we're not coming to preach. Because they're going to say, you teach, you preach, you, because they are part of us. They love God. I mean, it's just, I don't know if people get it when I say this. I said relationships are not disposable, not true godly relationships. People that are just acquaintances with each other, it's easy for you to just detach and go. And I'm never going to think about you ever again. It's pretty much the bottom line. But when you have a relationship, it's not like that. It's not like that. And that's what God wants. That's what heaven is like. That's what the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's their nature, to be one. To be one. To be in unity. And that happens only when you you are no longer being conformed to this world. You realize what it means to be a new creature, and you meditate daily on God's Word, put you in the right focus. Let me have the next slide, please. Here's number three for you. Discuss your vision with people of faith. Why? I'll read the scripture underneath it. It says, without wise leadership, a nation is in trouble. But with good counselors, there is safety. Your King James Version says, there is safety in the multitude of counsel. Oftentimes I see people wanting to launch out that we have a good friend how can I say this without name dropping I'll just say these, these, these qualities about this is a person who has the largest BMW dealership on the east coast 
African-American man, wonderful person, not just because he and I are in the same fraternity, but he's a wonderful person. But I can remember every time that the Lord gave him an opportunity to launch out into something, he wanted spiritual counsel. He didn't, how many of you realize that before you make a step, you want to make sure that that step is being ordered by the Lord? This is where you're not leaning to your own understanding on the matter. You are now what? Acknowledging God. I can remember even in the time when it would open, he would say, well, you two have to come down here and pray over everything. Can you imagine going into a new car dealership and just praying, praying over the garage, praying over the cars that are there, sitting down praying with his staff? Success. God did this all through the Old Testament. This is the reason that Saul got in trouble in the Bible. Saul no longer understood the necessity of the man of God in his life. As a matter of fact, he's trying to go to battle. The prophet hasn't showed up. It's like, big deal. I can do what he do. And so he decided, we don't need the prophet. Besides, he's late anyway, isn't he? So let's, let's get to it. And so he decides he's going to get to it without any spiritual counsel. And when the prophet gets there, he says, Saul, what is this thing that you've done? I mean, how many of you know there are a lot of things that people have started that didn't and never should have started? I, I always relate this to marriages. I don't know, I care. How many times I've said this, people still... Sometimes ignore it. I said, don't come to me and tell me, Pastor, this is our wedding date, and we need you to be available on this date and this time. I always feel like you should come and say, give us some counsel. Give us some counsel about this institution called marriage. And then after we get the counsel, if after that counsel, the Lord says it's good that you should marry, then set a date. Don't put the cart before the horse. This little girl looked at me like, what in the world did he just say? I want you to see a horse, and I want you to see a cart that the horse is pulling. Now reverse it and put the cart in front of the horse, how will that work? It won't work. That cart is now has no control. You might be able to give it a push, and it might go down the road a little bit, but how many of you know what's going to happen to the cart without the horse really pulling it? How many of you know that's what happens with marriages? I'm going to say it, you're going to finish it for me. What God has let now, let's just be logical here. Do you think that God has put together uh, some of the marriages that are out there? See, folks, this is a this is the, the the line that I have to help people to draw. It's what God has put together. Now, I'm not saying that after you got together that God can't make something out of nothing he can he can 
However, he's saying your highest and best yield is to make sure you're equally yoked, that you have counsel. And this is what I'm saying. When you have a vision, you said this is a vision from God, sit down with people of counsel. You don't have to sit down with me. I'm not necessarily implying that the only person that you can talk to is pastor. Absolutely not. But I'm saying you ought to know people that are full of the Holy Ghost. You ought to know people that are full of the word of God that are not going to give you the latest gossip. That are not necessarily going to tell you what you want to hear, but they will tell you what you need to hear. Some of you don't have friends like that in your life. You got them. You choose people that tell you exactly what you want to hear. And they be lying to you most of the time. They leave you as soon as they leave you. Man, they jacked up. <laughs> Man, they are so jacked up. Because they won't be honest with you. We're talking about people that will have integrity to risk the fact that you may get mad with them for telling you the truth. Look, if my breath stinks, I want my wife to tell me. Because I don't want to be getting all up in your face and you be talking about, oh, Lord, Pastor Brett blew me out the building this morning. I would hope that my wife loves me enough, trusts me enough to tell me, you stink. And she will. Folks, you've got to have people in your life that will tell you like, my grandmother just say, tell you like a T-I is. I don't know what that means, Prody. T-I is. Tis. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. That's, that's true. And you then can attach what I, you hear me say almost repetitively. That's a person that's not trying to do something to you. That's a person that's trying to do something for you. Trust people without wise leadership. You're in trouble. I know that translation says the nation is in trouble, but let's look at it individually. Without wise counselor, you're in trouble. I do appreciate when people can realize that they've made wrong choices, wrong decisions, and they come back, and they are repentive. And that has happened to me a lot. A lot of people, um, and I'm, I'm just speaking of times when people have left the church and they left, I know it, the wrong type of attitude. Some on their dying bed. I said, Pastor, will you come see me? And I have. Some have said, I was wrong, and I need you to forgive me, Pastor. And I will. Who am I not to forgive somebody? I've been forgiven. I was a sinner. I made bad decisions, and I was forgiven. So that's what God wants. Folks, when you don't forgive a person, if I can give you an illustration that hopefully you can attach a meaning to, not forgiving people is like drinking poison and thinking that they're going to die. Anybody understand where I'm coming from? Not forgiving is like a person drinking a bottle of poison, but thinking that the other person 
that's going to die now. Who's going to die? Who is it hurting? You. Forgiveness is so that you won't be hurt. So that you can be healed. So that you can be whole. See, sometimes, folks, you're holding things in your heart and you're losing focus because you're holding something that the person, sometimes the person don't even know that they offended you. I, I can't tell you how often people have said, Pastor, I was waving at you and you didn't even wave back. I didn't see you. Pastor's eyes are dim sometimes. That's why y'all see me up here with them glasses and sometimes I'm get up here and I look at my Bible, I can't see a word in it. And I say, Felix, go in my office, get my glasses. And sometimes, folks, and, and I, we had that happen recently. Uh, there, there was a, a child that I knew when they were like this. And it had been some years. How many of you know that children will probably remember who you are, but you won't remember who they are because they have so changed? Anybody ever went back to your hometown and, and the child is, is up there talking about, you don't remember me? And you'll be looking back at them and saying, sure don't. <laughs> I sure don't. Because they've had a lot of change. They've grown up. They've matured. They, they've, uh, and in this case, the hair color was totally different than what I remember. And the person said, Pastor just went right past me like he didn't know me. I didn't know you. I didn't have a clue. And I'm in a car. They're on the street. See, and for me, I'm trying to phase out, especially if it's a female waving at me. I'm like, oh, hey, hey, bye. <laughs> I'm not trying to focus on another female. And, and that's what happened. And the person went off and said, you know, I, I, I call it the shame. Sometimes you can use Facebook and Instagram to try to shame people. I remember there was a man of God, and I, I don't mind calling his name. His name is Larry Hutton, and Larry put some things out on his webpage about why he was voting for Trump. You wouldn't imagine how many people put negative things out about Pastor Horace based on what Larry Hutton put out. Larry's been here. I mean, you know that. I don't agree with everything that everybody says. But people say, that's Pastor Horace. I don't mind telling you, I didn't vote for Trump. I didn't vote for him the first time. I didn't vote for him the second time that he was running. There are many things that I disagree. Look, I don't agree with everything that Joe Biden does. I didn't agree with everything that Barack Obama did. But what you say is not always reflective of who I am. See, sometimes... This assimilation by association is so wrong. How many of you know that everybody in the church ain't a Christian? <laughs> I'm sorry to bust your bubble if you thought so. But assimilation, you've heard it put in these simplistic and almost uh, comical ways. You know, you can go out on the runway, stretch your arms out like this, and go zoom, zoom, zoom. That will not make you a Southwest airline. You're not an airplane. You can get on the railroad track and go choo-choo, choo-choo, choo. That will not make you a train. 
you can come in this house and shout hallelujah praise the Lord that does not make you a Christian you got to live this my brothers and sisters and it's going to put you to the test people are going to put you to the test every now and then pastor is going to put you to the test We want to know if you are truly solid gold. How many of you remember a man named Abraham? He was Abram in the Bible. God changed his name to Abraham. He goes by direction of God to a mountain called Moriah. Mount Moriah. He has his son with him. What's his son's name? Isaac and he's going up to make sacrifice but he describes the sacrifice that he's making as worship because he says to the servant who travels with them they are all on, 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 on horseback or, or some type of animal and, and, and they get there at the bottom of the mountain he says to the servant you stay here wait for me and my son we are going up to worship everybody say worship see He's a true worshiper. He saw whatever God was asking him to do as a form of worship. Some of you define worship as singing song. Worship is not singing a song. That is not singing a song. Worship is not singing songs. If I, if I haven't been clear about that, let me make it very clear today. Worship is not singing song. Praise may involve singing some song. But worship is coming from your heart. It might happen during the course of singing. But worship is your vision of God where you say, I love him. I truly appreciate who he is in my life and what he's done in my life, what he's done in my family, what he's doing right now in the midst of our nation, in the midst of our world, in the midst of our church. You love God. And you begin to worship him. But it's not a song. It might happen in the midst of that song. But that song becomes reality to you. That song becomes rhema to you. And you now worship God. That's why sometimes people just break out in tears. Sometimes they just break out and fall upon their knees. Sometimes they break out in a run. Sometimes it's just laughter. Because you're laughing at the devil and saying, you thought you had me. But God. God. That's true worship. And so, folks, it's really important not to try to shame people. I mean, you know that that's what Jesus come to take away that shame. And for you to be a Christian out there on Facebook, Instagram, it makes me question your Christianity. When that's what you're doing out there, you're using it to try to shame somebody? You're using it to try to cancel somebody? See, this is why I said years ago, some of us need to stop putting our face out there and start putting the face of Christ out there. We need to stop showing people what we're eating. I will never take a picture and send it out to you of what I'm eating, no matter how good it looks or tastes. What is that going to do for you? Make you hungry. And if you ain't got no food, you just going to make you mad. What's wrong with pastor? 
He blessed like that. What are you trying to do? Shame me? Don't do that. Put a scripture out there. Put a word out there. If you got a blog, use your blog for exalting Jesus' glory. See, my message was going to be how to glorify God, but God says, I can't let you do that part till you do this part. So let me go to the next slide because you got to finish this. Come on. Write down your vision simply and concisely. Now, do you know that the Bible tells us we're supposed to write the vision and what? Make it plain so that we can run and others can run with us. Now, Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 2 says, two can accomplish more than twice as much as one, for the results can be much better, and if one falls, the other pulls him up. And this is in line, probably more in line with what I had on the previous slide about safety and the multitude of counsel, so that must, that pass, that's pastor juxtaposing stuff. That one, put Habakkuk 2-2 back with your other uh, uh, slide. But writing down the vision so that you can make it plain. Well, sometimes you have to go back and remember what God showed you because the devil is trying to blind you. How many of you know the Bible says the devil comes to blind the minds of men? Folks, I go back and listen to when I was ordained several decades ago. The very words that were spoken to me, I have to go back and listen to them many times. Because there are times in your life where you're being challenged, where roadblocks are coming, where detours are seemingly in your way, and you have to go back and remind yourself. How many of you realize that God tells us sometimes you have to go back and remember? You didn't do this because you thought it was a good idea. You did this because this was a God idea. You did this because this was a calling of God. You did this because it was vision that you have. And so you need to write it down. We are in a society now where people don't like to write anymore. I noticed on the news the other day, they said uh, most the average person has not written a letter in seven years. And I know we are in a society where they say writing, writing, writing is not important. Even in the school curriculum, they want to take most of the writing out. Especially when you talk about cursive writing. What's the use of that cursive writing, Pastor? And I know you realize that, you know, I can get, I don't know what you call a little square. All you have to do, I, I, sometimes I just, I laugh at what I put down. So I just do like that. Because they're telling me my signature is really not that important. And so people get that mindset that I don't need to write anymore. And how many of you realize that people don't write? BFF. And then, yet we still have these collegiate tests that students, and I remember reading an article that said a lot of the kids tried to write their essay and all they had was a bunch of acronyms in it. Some of these children don't know how to write a thing. Yet, what's making the world move is people who are writing vision. But they're getting you so dumbed down that you don't think it's important anymore. I know you say, well, I can go back and watch YouTube and find out what you said, Pastor. Sometimes it's not what Pastor is saying, it's what the Holy Spirit is saying to you at that very moment that you need to write down. 
Every member of this church ought to have a journal when they come in. They ought to have a Bible. They ought to have a journal. Or you ought to have something in your mechanical or, or, or your smart device. That's what they call them. Where you can actually do some notations. Because the Holy Ghost is going to speak to you. And you might want to write it down. I got a photographic memory, Pastor. Please. Ask you for to save your life to give two scriptures that Pastor preached today. And some of you be dead. I'll be preaching your funeral. Because you won't remember a thing. It's the truth. It's the truth. And God began to tell you to it, people. Write it down. I don't know if you even know, most of the decisions that are going to be made even in the world that we're living in because something was written. I know you have the, the, the mindset. Uh, how many of you realize that anytime that you're installing an app or you're doing a new uh, uh, um, uh, upgrade to your software, uh, it has uh, this little thing that says, I accept, I agree, and you haven't read a thing. You just push the button. You don't realize. Like some of you don't realize, Facebook owns you. They own everything that you put out there. And some of you, the future that God has for you, the trail that you're leaving, can sometimes be your destruction. Some of you are putting pictures out there. Do you know that stuff never goes away? Look. The, your beloved Washington football team, the coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, all of this that's hashing out in their lives came from a bunch of emails. Very derogatory. Very prejudicial. But it's a trail. Some of you are going to want to do some things in life and somebody's going to go back in your history. And that little picture that you sent of your little body, they're going to pull it up. And you're going to want to be saying, well, I'm a godly woman. I'm a... I won't go down that road any further. There'll come a time and there'll come a message where all of that's going to make sense to you. But there are things that we're writing and we're doing that don't really make sense right now. And the thing that you need to be writing is the things of God. One of the most successful ways that I found in my study habits and being able to uh, achieve some things academically at the high school collegiate level was that I wrote everything down. Even in my military time, I would take what we, it was called a pr promotion fitness examination, but I would literally write the whole book out. Matter of fact, my first method of study was to take a black marker and determine what wasn't saying anything. And that's just fluff. What's the meat in this paragraph? And I scored very high. Just about on every fitness ex promotion fitness exam that I had to take. But I studied. How many of you know the Bible wants you to study? 
And one of your study methods is to be able to have something that you write certain things down because God's going to bring things to your remembrance. God's going to show you something, and you need to write them down. So write down your vision simply and concisely. Next slide, please. Are you with me? Own that thing. <laughs> Come on, look at your neighbor and say, own that vision. There are a lot of people that's got a lot of talk. He says, those who love to talk will suffer consequences, but men have died for saying the wrong thing. Now, your translation might say, life and death and the power of the tongue. I like this translation. Those who love to talk will suffer consequences. There are people who just talk, talk, talk. And I call that self-promotion. You have probably been in the, in the presence of people who just talk. You went to lunch with them. You went to dinner with them. You thought you wanted to meet them until you met them. And, and you, when you met them, you said, man, this person don't ever stop talking about themselves and how great they are. Self-promotion. But people who love to talk, he says, you're going to suffer consequences if there's no action that goes along with your talk. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. What is he trying to tell you and I? Speak life. And if you're going to speak life, what are you speaking? The word of God. That simple. Who's speaking the word of God? This man served, and I'm going way back when, that was a president by the name of Richard Milhouse Nixon. That's way back in the laurels in there. But there was an African-American who was on Richard Nixon's advisory team. His name was Johnny Johnson, African-American. Johnny had served in the Marines for several years, and Johnny has gone home to be with the Lord now, but wow, back in the day, Johnny's wife got really, really, really sick. Really sick. I'm talking about that kind of sickness where the doctor says you might want to call in everyone. We don't think she will make it till tomorrow. She will not make it through the night. And I remember Johnny sharing from a church perspective, from the pulpit, when he said uh, he just began to weep. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to say. He just began to weep, and he was out in the hospital, and he was weeping, and he said, and there was an old gentleman who was walking the halls with a big Bible, he said the Bible was just about as big as he was. Old gentleman was a deacon in his church. He saw Johnny weeping, crying. He said, son, can I, can I, can I help you? He shared with him briefly about the plight of his wife. And he says, will you allow me to go in and pray for her? Will you allow me to go in and anoint her with oil. And Johnny said, yes, please come in. Here's the thing. There were people in the room. Everybody's just crying. You, anybody ever been in one of those situations? Where everybody's just in the hospital. Everybody, nobody's speaking the word. Nobody's thinking the word. Everybody's just thinking. And, and he said, the old gentleman said to him, Johnny, we got to put out everybody with death on their breath. Did you get that? They had death on their breath. They didn't have, say, I have life. I have 
Say it again. I have life. If you've got the word of God, you've got life, and you've got to speak life. Life and death are in the power of your tongue. Own the vision. When the devil says it can't be done, and the vision of God says it will be done, then you say nothing shall be impossible with God. Nothing is too hard for God. And Johnny says the man came in, said he didn't realize what he meant when he said anointed with oil. He said he just took the bottle that he had, he just poured it all over him. Y'all see me with a little bottle. I'm talking about Johnny said it was a big bottle. I want you to think olive oil bottle and I want you to see a man going into a hospital room as a hospital bed and just pouring it. Sometimes there are things that you got to pour into people's life. There are some things that God wants you to do that won't be understandable to the world, but you'll understand that God told me to do this. Come on, Jesus spits. gets down, scoops it up with a little clay, puts it on a blind man's eye. Come on, I don't care if you're blind. You hear it when somebody's hawking it up. <laughs> like, you sure you won't do that? No, I'll pass. <laughs> no, God does extraordinary things. Out of the ordinary thing for people sometimes. You got to own it. You all have laughed at me. God has never called on me to do it yet. But I, I shared with you how I was right in front of the monument. I was coming back from Virginia across the 14th Street Bridge. I've come down uh, to Constitution Avenue is where that is. And I was stopped by the stoplight. I'm two cars behind the car that's first in line. And there's a young boy that's in a car. He's playing his music very loud. And it gets really good to him. It's worldly music. And he gets out. And I mean, the boy is dancing. His door is open. He is dancing. He is, the light is red. But since he was stopped, he got out and he danced. I'm watching him. <laughs> wow. And the Spirit of the Lord quickened me that quick and he says, If I ask you to dance for me like that, would you? How I many remember David danced before the Lord? His wife said, That's not dignified. And, and you remember what David said? <laughs> You haven't seen. I will be even more undignified than this. Stephen Hurd, uh, back there. Yeah, I don't know if they're listening to me. It's an undignified praise. Somebody say, it's an undignified praise. See, when you own the vision, whatever God is calling for out of your life, you're not worried about what he's going to think about you, what she's going to think about you, what they're going to think about you. You got your focus on what God said to. And David came back dancing. David came back, and the Bible says David got so happy he took his ephod off. It means he just took his coat off. And he began to praise God. It's all right, brother. Look, I, I, when Sister Betty people were living, she gave everybody, bought a whole bunch of whistles. Everybody would come to Jericho and they would have a whistle around the neck. And when they got to praising God, people would start blowing the whistle. 
Come on. Sometimes you've got to shout it. Sometimes you've got to blow the trumpet in Zion. You've got to sound the alarm. You've got to glorify God, magnify God. Let the world know you are not ashamed of the gospel. You are not ashamed of your Savior. Jesus lives on the vision. Own it. It's too big, sister. It's too big, brother. I serve a big, big God. Come on. Somebody didn't want David to own it. David said, who is this uncircumcised giant that thinks that he can defy the living armies of God? He began to say, my God is bigger. I don't care, folks. Let me say this about vision. If you could do it on your own, you would never need faith. So when God gives you something, it's bigger. It's bigger than you. And he wants you to start seeing it and realizing, I can do this. Goliath was bigger than David. Goliath in the natural was stronger than David. The Bible gives us a physical description of Goliath. He sure had a bigger head than David. Had a sword that David probably couldn't even lift up. But he realized, all I need to do is lift up my God. Somebody lift up the name of Jesus in this house. Because when you own the vision, when you own it, when you say, this is what God has given to me. This is the task that God has given me. This is the call of God on my life. You're not worried about what man can do. You're not worried about who's, who's there and who's not there. As long as God is there, if God be for me, who can be against me? And you just keep pressing toward the mark of that high calling that is in Christ Jesus. I don't know. Do I have another slide in there? I, I, I've got to finish everything God told me to finish. I, I've just got to finish it. Come on. If that's the last one, that's the last one. Folks, I came in this morning. Ha, I knew it was one more. Exercise and endure until the vision comes to pass. This is where Habakkuk jumps in again in the third verse. He said, but these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. I love that. That's written in the front of my Bible. I wrote that down when it concerns Rainbow Family Christian Citizen. Slowly, steadily, surely, time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. God said to me, 120 people will gather with you and pray. But slowly, steadily, and surely, I know that's coming to pass. I believe that people will wake up in there and, and truly who are focused, they will begin to pray. You have the opportunity to do it without even physically coming to this building. But 120 people, that's all God said. Get your 120 people that will pray with you and watch me shake and move some things. But you know what? It's like, I'm like the prophets of old. He says, but who has believed our report? 
Folks, there are things that will change in your home. There are change with things that will change in your physical health. There are things that will change things that will change in your children. Things that will change in your finances if you just believe God. But I don't have people yet that fully believe that, and I know that. So that's why God says, "Don't despise the small beginnings." You see, sometimes you can just think. I've done all I can do. And you'll be like Elijah. You remember how Elijah got to the point he got so discouraged that he went up under the juniper tree and he said, Lord, can you just take my life now? Can you just take my life? I, the people don't want to, they don't want you, God. They don't want me. They don't want you. They want recreation. They want happy, make me feel good moments. They don't really want your presence. They sing about your presence, but they don't want your presence, God. But how many of you know that there is a remnant? I don't know if you've ever been in the book called Zephaniah. In Zephaniah chapter 3. Somewhere around verse 13. It started talking about this remnant. It started talking about in this lot of days, God will have a people that set aside. I mean, you know, even when there will be the last days, I mean, when Jesus has come back, the church has been raptured, and then the opportunity is given for people to still receive Christ, God will have people set aside that have not bowed their knee to Baal. Exercise and endure until the vision comes. So, folks, Everybody's not going to buy into the vision that God gives you. God wants you to buy into it. As long as you are embracing what he's told you to do, then you stand. How many of you know, having done all to stand, what will happen? You'll be standing. If it seems slow, do not despair. For these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue. A single day. Everybody say God's timing. God's say it again. God's timing. God's Everything has to be focused on God's timing. See, when I say that, I want you to be able to now grab a scripture that says, not my will. It's God's timing. There are some things that we want to happen real quick. There are things that would sometimes we want them to happen real slow. It's kind of like, you know, putting perspective on time. If I'm sitting at the traffic light, it looks like the light is too long. But if somebody tells me you have that same length of time to live, that's not long at all, is it? Perspective. And what I'm wanting you to do is to understand that pastor's speaking to you about getting vision and keeping your focus on what God has begun to reveal to you concerning these last days. I speak of a scripture in the Old Testament about a tribe called the tribe or the sons of Ishakar. The Bible says these, this tribe, the sons of Ishakar, understood the times and they knew what they ought to do. You're not going to understand the times of COVID. You're not going to understand the time of world collapse. You're not going to understand Folks, inflation is it's pushing. How many of you know you're paying $1 more per gallon of gas than you did last year? I know the, the, the society is saying to you, get your order in now. But you are saying to what the world is saying, 
I don't really need that. My God shall supply all of my need according to my riches ain't stored up at Amazon. They're not at Walmart. They're not at Macy's or Nordstrom or whomever that you love to frequent. My treasures are in heaven. Say, my treasures are in heaven. Make sure that your treasures are in heaven. Make sure that you build your hopes on things that are eternal and that you're holding on to God's unchanging hand. But it's going to require vision and being patient with the vision that God has given you and knowing that God will take care of his people. He has always done that. There is always a ram in the bush. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Close your eyes for just a moment, everyone, just to block out distractions. That's all I'm doing it for. Some of you may not have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Some of you may have accepted him, but you walked away from him for a period of time. And God is calling you to him this morning because he is the way. He is the truth, and he is the life. And more importantly, he loves you. And he doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want you to just have a form of godliness, but you deny that he is the power, that he is the glorious one, that he is the healer, that he is your creator, that he is the author and the finisher of your faith. And that he will give you a measure of faith that you'll be able to do what is necessary in the days that we're living. If you're here, you're presently here this morning sitting in this congregation, and that's you. You want to give your life. You want to rededicate your life back to Christ. I want you to just simply stand. Just stand. Be bold. I mean own it this morning. And just be bold and say, that's me. Some of you are at home. You're watching. And the Lord is speaking to your heart. And he's saying, that's you. Now, look. I'm going to say to you this morning, just stretch your hand out toward that device that you are utilizing to, to view this service. Just stretch your hand out because I'm going to pray for you as well as praying for those who stand in the midst of this congregation. Because Jesus came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Jesus came that you might live and not die and glorify the Lord. Jesus came that you might have eternal life that even if you were absent from this body that you have you would be present with the Lord and he wants you to know that as long as you're in this body he is present with you his presence is heaven to me will have great meaning to you because you know him now as a friend that sticks closer than a friend you become a new creature because why? You're going to invest some time praying. You're going to invest some time studying. And you're going to allow God to open things up to you. And so, Father, I thank you for those who are standing. I thank you for those that are extending their hand out in our viewing audience. And I thank you. Say this with me, everyone. Jesus, Jesus. You, are you are the Son of God. Son of God. I believe. I believe you. I believe your word. I believe that you died so that I might have life.
Come into my life. Come into my heart. Right now. Save me. Now give him thanks. I don't want to make it complicated because it's not. It's just that easy. If you'll ask him to come, he'll come. If you ask him to save, he'll save you. If you ask him. But if you ask in his name, his word says, I'll do that. And I want you to know going forward in your walk with God, whatever you ask in his name, according to his will, he'll do it. He hears you, and he'll do it. He'll do it. Hallelujah. One last thing to do, I guess. How many of you love Jesus? How many of you know that Jesus is a giver? How many of you want to be like Jesus? Then you be a giver. What do you give? What the word says to give. He said, when you give, he'll give. Give back to you, good measure, pressed down, chicken together, running over. Well, men give unto your bosom. And so, Father, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to give. We thank you that you speak of a corresponding return on our giving. So, Father, your word says for some it's 30, some it's 60, some it's 100 fold. But it comes from the cheerfulness of the heart. And, Father, I thank you for each one of us understanding the 100 fold return and that we're getting a 100 fold return on our giving. But we don't give to get. We realize that we get so that we can give. And we thank you, Lord, that you're giving us more so that we might be able to give more. And we're giving more so that your word can go as far as, as far and as fast as possible into the uttermost parts of the earth. We thank you, Father, even this day as Brother um, Talat would call me on Friday and says, I'm heading to Malta. And when I preach the gospel in Malta, I'll go to Ethiopia. And when I preach the gospel in Ethiopia, I will go to Rome. And when I preach the gospel in Rome, I will go home. And I'll come the rainbow after that. <laughs> and Father, we thank you that we had a part in helping to send Brother Talent into these uttermost parts of the earth. But yet there's more to be done and more that will be done. And so we're going to keep giving, Father, so that people might keep living. And living in you. In you they live, in you they move, and in you they have that being. We thank you for this opportunity to give in Jesus' precious name. Ushers, come now, and I want you to do this quickly. I'm going to give you some announcements that you are, uh, I believe that you can multitask. One of those announcements is making sure that on your calendars, November 6th, is one of those days at 10 a.m. that you are going to join us right here. That's a Saturday morning at 10 a.m. You're going to join us, and we're going to be talking about how to be prepared to exit this world, how to leave an inheritance with your children and your children's children, not debt not something that causes people to be at heartache. Getting to the point in our church as believers that we're saying, no, we don't see that. God, does, God says, if I don't take care of my own, I'm worse than an infidel. We are not infidels. We're not going to take the role of an infidel by failing to plan. If you don't plan, those who fail to plan, you know the expression, if you fail to plan, you are planning to fail, and you're setting up generations for failure. So this is about learning how to properly plan. Some of you may have your plan, and that's a good thing, but you might want to review it. You might want to see that at the time that you took out that plan, is it going to meet the current 
economic requirement of this day and age. And so this is why we want you to be here on November the 6th. On November the 30th, uh, we'll actually have a meeting, but it will all be virtual, where we'll talk about the business of the church. In other words, finances. We'll talk about um, some things that we've done historically, some things that we've been doing during this COVID period, some things that we've got to do beyond this period of time that we're living in. So we invite you to join us at 7.30 p.m., and that is the 30th of October. That's the last Wednesday in October. So everybody, you will have a link. It's the same link that you would normally use to go to Bible study, the exact same link. You, you tune in, and if you don't have that, get that today or call the office this week. Get that link, because if you don't have that link, that means that you haven't been in Bible study. <laughs> so it's the same Bible study link, and we'll use that on the 30th. Our board of directors, our, our church uh, secretary, our church uh, treasurer, they will be making the presentation for this. Pastor will probably have a few closing or opening remarks, uh, but it's going to be informative, and I think we all need to be informed. Amen? So two important dates coming up, November, October 30th and November 6th. October 30th at 7.30. 27th, I'm sorry, thank you correcting that. The last Wednesday, she says it's the 27th of October. So October 27th at 7.30 p.m. It will be preceded by prayer, 6.30 to approximately 7.15. Uh, let me lead you in some prayer. And then at 7.30, let's go into the business of the church. And then on November 6th at 10 a.m., get up. Get up at 8. Get your shower. Get dressed. Have some breakfast come join us. Sister Benita will be helping us to facilitate a virtual presentation, but I think you will benefit the most by being here in the live presentation. So we'll have representatives from various uh, areas, insurance, some perhaps from the mortuary side of the house to help you to understand what's required in the times that we're living in right now so that you can plan, so that you can have things in place so that you can enjoy what God is saying about his amazing grace. Amen? Amen? So, if you're ready to give, come now. Undignified?
Come on, stand with us, church. Understand what David saw. I need you to get back to vision. Come on, come on, come on, church. Ah. That's what David is saying. I own this vision and nobody can keep me from praising my God. With your hands toward heaven. Father, we are so thankful, so grateful to you for being the author and the finisher of our faith. We are so grateful and so thankful, Father God, that you order our steps, you set our conversations aright, you bless us when we come in, and we are so grateful, Father, as we are ready to go out, you will bless us when we go out. But Lord, we are going out knowing that we have vision, and that the vision causes us not to perish. And Father, we're going to keep our hearts and our minds stayed on you. We're going to let you order our steps. We will acknowledge you in all of our ways. And you will direct those steps that we take. And every step that we take will be a step of faith. Because we want to please you. And we know that without faith, it is impossible to do that. But we will glorify you. We will magnify you. We will exalt your name. We will let the world know Jesus is the answer. It's in Jesus' name that we came. It's in Jesus' name that we go. Amen. amen. And amen. amen. Thanks again for joining us today. Here at Rainbow Family, our mission is to love God, love people, and change the world. If you would like to partner with us in any way, we encourage you to visit our website at rainbowfamilychristian.org.